Now, in his uh, recent book, Don't Follow Your Heart, which is a great book, and I will recommend to you, I might do a book by it um, another Sunday. In, in this book, Don't Follow Your Heart, Thaddeus Williams, who is professor at Biola, he argues that just as the Bible gives you, gives me, ten commandments for how you should worship God and love your neighbor, so our current culture, he argues, has its own Ten Commandments for how you should worship yourself and love yourself. Okay, and, those, and, and if you want to live well, if you want to really thrive in life, if you want to flourish, culture says you've got to follow these Ten Commandments. And they are, number one, live your, live your best life. Glorify yourself. Number two, okay, boomer, never be outdated. Number three, follow your heart. Obey your emotions at all costs. Number four, be true to yourself. Defy everyone else's expectations. Number five, you do you. Live your own truth. Let others live theirs. Number six, YOLO. Pursue boundary-free experiences. And number seven, the answers are within. Trust yourself. Number eight, be authentic. Invent and then advertise your own identity. Number nine, live the dream. Force the universe to bend to you. And number ten, love is love. All lifestyles, all love lives are equally valid. Okay, now whatever you think of uh, those, they certainly raise a question, don't they? What does it mean to thrive at life? How are you going to do it? What, 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 what does it mean to thrive and flourish in life? What, how are you supposed to live a rich, fulfilling life in which you thrive? And what would the opposite of that, a living death, look like? And whose advice are you supposed to follow? Well, Proverbs was written to help us answer exactly those kinds of questions. But it won't surprise you that the answer Proverbs gives is very different from the Ten Commandments of self-worship. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at life and death. We're going to look at living life, firstly. Secondly, living death. And then thirdly, so choose life. Your first point then, living life. Have you heard of Brian Johnson? He's the um, Californian tech entrepreneur who apparently, spent, by his own admission, spends around $2 million a year and most of his day attempting to reverse the aging process and to live forever. And his goal, he says, is to get his 46-year-old organs to look and act like they are 18. Sounds horrendous to me, but no. And in, in a recent Time magazine article, he described his blueprint protocol that includes, amongst lots of exercise and strict dietary stuff, swallowing, get this, 111 pills a day and wearing a baseball cap that fires red light into his scalp. I think I must have got the dose wrong, probably. <laughs> okay. 
while not, he does those things, while not, he said, giving in to the desire to eat ice cream, or have sex at 1am, or drink beer with friends. Interestingly, aging experts are not so convinced by his protocol, according to Time magazine. In the same article, the Dr. Cohen, who's dean of gerontology, what we used to call geriatrics, at uh, USC, he said, death is not optional. It's written into our genes. In other words, it doesn't matter how many pills he swallows, one day he is going to die. While Dr. Verdon, CEO of Buck Institute for Research on Aging, said, if you want immortality, you should go to church. <laughs> okay. But what Proverbs would say, interesting, Proverbs would say, well, yes and no. Because Proverbs says there is a way to live that prolongs your life. Proverbs 3, 1 to 2. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commands for length of days and years of life and peace, they will act you. Or Proverbs 4 verse 10, hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Or Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, wisdom, your days will be multiplied. All the math men are getting excited, okay? And years will be added to your life. Okay, but is that true? Is that really true? Or is Proverbs trying to tell you something, sell you something as dodgy as Brian Johnson's 111 pills a day? Is any of this true? Because you probably know someone who was good and who was wise, but who died way too young. Where was Proverbs for them? But Proverbs is not about cast iron guarantees and promises. It's about general principles that things will go better for you, including living longer if you live within the grain of creation, God's creation. We just remember, think about uh, who's writing this, Solomon, king of Israel. Who's he writing to? He's addressing his sons who are going to grow up to be kings and princes. So they are very likely, these lads, they're going to face multiple threats in their lives, including, most likely, assassination attempts from rebels or disgruntled advisors. So ruling wisely and justly and with grace and with skill and with compassion might very well have lengthened their lives. And yet, that dean of gerontology is right, isn't it? Death is not optional. Even the wisest will die. A couple of weeks back, I um, flew to the UK to take the funeral of one of my uncles, a dear guy, and to be honest, watching my mother, who loved her brother, weeping, over my uncle's coffin was heartbreaking. And she told me afterwards it was impossible in that moment not to think of her own mortality, of her own end, of the end of her years. And yet Proverbs is clear, life is more than just multiplied years and life just going on. If you look again at 
3, verse 1 to 2. Let your heart, heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Okay, so this is not just about extending your life so that you can grow more and more angry or embittered with the world. It is saying that there is a way for you to live that adds peace. Shalom, the all-encompassing goodness and well-being of God to your life, even as it adds years. Okay, just think about that. What do you need to be at peace? You know, what, what, if you are faced with a situation that is difficult, what do you need to feel peaceful about that situation or about life in general? You need a confidence, don't you? You need a confidence about how this situation is going to work out. Or, if not work out, that you are going to be okay. Okay, so look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33. Whoever listens to me, to wisdom, will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. In other words, listen to wisdom and you will have that confidence. But our current culture says, no, 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 no. If you want to thrive, if you want to have inner confidence, listen to yourself. Listen to your emotions. Let them guide you. Okay, so let me ask you, how steady are your emotions? I mean, have you ever noticed your emotions wobbling? Do your emotions ever go up and down just a bit? And not just over a lifetime, but in the space of an hour? I mean, for example, have you ever felt really confident about life and you are okay and you could tackle anything? But the next moment, you feel utterly useless and you're a waste of space and you loathe yourself. Or have you ever passed a mirror and thought, mm, looking sharp? And ten minutes later, you passed another mirror and thought, man, you are so ugly. I mean, you're going saggy under here. And guys, we're supposed to look inside ourselves for health and peace? No, Proverbs says, look outside of yourself. Look to the one who is infinitely consistent. You and I, we are not consistent, but God is. He never changes. And if you do that, you will know it deep inner security, and with it, a deep inner peace. Okay, but maybe talk about emotions is a whole load of emotional guff to you. If for you, maybe the way to thrive, the way to flourish in life, is to shoot for the stars. Pursue your dream. You want this thing, so go get it. Get what you want. But will it give you what you want? Firstly, the odds are you won't get it, like the thousands of athletes and actors and artists who don't get it. But secondly, look at those who do make it. Are they really happier for having made it? And could that be because it, whatever it is, can never truly satisfy? It's never enough. There's always a next thing that you yeah, what is it that Rockefeller was asking? He was asking, how much money is enough? One dollar more. Because it's never enough. 
You're never satisfied, but Proverbs tells you what can satisfy. Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. In other words, when you know that God is infinitely greater than you, when you know he's infinitely greater than any of your dreams, and yet he loves you, and in response, instead of worshipping yourself, you love and worship him with awe. That, Proverbs says, has the power to satisfy your heart beyond anything any dream can ever offer. And do you know what Proverbs says? It says that they won't just do good to you on the inside. You look at Proverbs 3, 21 and 22. Read My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Interesting, isn't it? Have you, have you ever met someone who just seems to have a glow about them? Okay, they probably are not a member of the Beautiful People's Club, but they do have a beauty, and it shines. And Proverbs is sure they do. Because fearing and loving God more than anything else will beautify a life like a necklace does a neck. And when you see it, it is deeply attractive. It's actually captivating. You look at Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Is captivating. Before we look at that, just think about the opposite of that proverb. Think of the tree of life, think about a tree of death. And this tree is it's a, it's alive. It, in itself, it is alive. But around this tree of death, nothing else grows. Maybe because of the shadow it casts, maybe because of the acidic sap that it drops. And ask yourself, could a life be like that? Could a person be like that? But to have this person as a friend, or a colleague, or a partner, is anything but healthy, because they are consumed with self. And no one else thrives in their shadow. And Proverbs is saying, you don't need to be like that. You don't want to be like that. You don't need to be like that. You can be different from that. Instead, as people come into your orbit, whether that's at work or at home or in your friendship group or here at church, you can be like a tree of life to them. It is not just you who are thriving and flourishing. It's those you come in contact with. You help them to thrive and to flourish too. And church, such a life isn't just beautiful to us. We don't just look at that and say, wow, that is good. Somebody else does as well. Proverbs 8, verse 35. Whoever finds me wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And that word favor is the same word that is used elsewhere for God accepting a sacrifice or approving of a priest. Okay, which means... Hey, 
our hearts, one moment are telling us, hey, you are amazing, and the next, no, you're not, you are the most useless person who's ever lived. Well, that's what our hearts say to us. There is a way to live where you can know God's never-changing, loving favour and blessing and acceptance on your life. You can know that. And it is the way of wisdom, Proverbs says. Take that way, and it can be profoundly healing to you. I mean, if we were to talk about this, and I were to ask you, do you carry any scars from the way that people have spoken to you or treated you in the past? Probably a whole load of us would get, yeah. Some of those are more deeply buried, some of them are more obvious. Or we felt hurt or rejected by others. What does our current culture say? You should look inside yourself for healing. You should look inside yourself for an inner confidence. Guys, what good is looking inside yourself for an inner confidence when your inner confidence has been crushed? When you can't heal yourself? So look at Proverbs 3, 7 to 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It would be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And the word for flesh there is the word for umbilical cord. Okay, so if the mathematicians can get excited about years being multiplied and added, a former neonatologist can get excited about the umbilical cord. Okay, this is talking about your, your navel, your belly button. And so Proverbs is saying, the healing of your hurts does not come by navel-gazing. It doesn't come by looking down and in. Healing comes by looking up and out to someone who is far more loved, far more stable than your heart will ever be. Proverbs 4.22 says that the words of wisdom are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. On Monday, some of us uh, were at Clara's PhD defeats and she told us how certain bacteria produce substances that specifically target other bacteria. Specifically targeted at them. And you have heard how um, you know, many modern medicines are increasingly specific, specifically targeted against this cell or that receptor. But as you begin to live wisely, as you begin to take this path of fearing and loving God above everything else, Proverbs says it doesn't just do good to this little compartment of your life. It does good to the whole of your life. It brings healing to, your, to all of your flesh, to your mind, to your body, to your heart, to your emotions. Because it starts putting things right and in their right order. Okay, so learn to live wisely and you will know a deep inner peace and security and satisfaction in life. And you will be a blessing to others even as you enjoy God's blessing in your own life, and it will be healing to you. But, the proverb says there is an alternative to that. Second point, 
living death. And as well as Proverbs talking about how long we might live, Proverbs also speaks about how it might end. Chapter 21, verse 16. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. One who wanders from the way of good sense. And that's exactly what our current culture says we should do. Throw off the suffocating constraints of previous generations. Get off of their path. Make your own path. If you really want to live, make your own way. And that's the way to life. Proverbs says that the truth is much darker than that. And it uses two place names to describe death. Sheol, the place of the dead, and Abaddon, the place of eternal ruin. And the problem is, both of those have insatiable appetites. Chapter 27, verse 20. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. They are like two monsters in a horror movie. They devour as many victims as life throws at them. The problem is, is that people aren't thrown into their mouths as unwilling victims. Rather, Proverbs teaches us that people choose to take the path that leads straight to them. It gives us this contrast, doesn't it, in chapter 9, between Lady Wisdom, who is inviting you to come feast with her. But we can think, nah, all this stuff about fearing God, all this stuff about worshipping him instead of myself, that is so oppressive. Instead, we go and eat at Madame Folly's fast food joint. But the one who makes that choice, chapter 9, verse 18, says, the person who makes that choice does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Okay, so follow the Ten Commandments of self-worship. We live a life of consumption, consume experiences, consume adventures, consume wealth, consume sex, consume other people, use them, and at the end you will discover that it's you who have been consumed. You see, death is not just a monster waiting for you at the end of life. It is something whose shadow can stretch forward into this life. And the very things that we are told will bring life, bring death. Proverbs 1 verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. You turn away from God, be complacent and think, hey, you can live however you want to live. Love is love, you do you. Break, break with the moral norms, be the authentic you. And it might not be life that you experience, but the shadow of death. And let's face it, these statistics, all, I think, if you look at all the statistics on the mental health and well-being of young people, all of these statistics prove it. If you break with the wisdom of God's word, if you break with the reality of your body, if you try and live against the grain of creation, reality has this habit of breaking you. It's tragic. Proverbs 29 verse 1. 
He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck. He who won't listen to just reality of the universe will suddenly be broken beyond healing. But guys, that is not just a problem for Gen Zers who are caught up in our current cultural moment. It's true for any of us who see any infringement of our freedom as a personal affront. As Proverbs 15 verse 10 says, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. But that dying can begin even where we live. Proverbs 14 verse 13. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And maybe you know, we are honest enough to admit that we've experienced envy. You know, if you experience those, that inner unhappiness, that anger or frustration with yourself or with others, because you're not enjoying, I'm not enjoying what they have and I don't have. And Proverbs says, if you let that grow, it can become like a cancer eating away at you. But if you learn to be content with your life, or with your body, it'll do the opposite. It brings health. But of course, a self-focused life of self-worship, it doesn't just rob you of life. It robs those around you. Proverbs 10, verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Okay, so in other words, the righteous person, the person who is learning to feed themselves on God's wisdom, discovers, well, I've got more and more to share with others. <coughs> well, the person who thinks that they are already wise, who already has all, all of the answers, and this book, you correcting me, that has nothing to teach me, ends up starving themselves. They don't even have enough to feed themselves, let alone others. In 1943, C.S. in the middle of the Second World War, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called The Abolition of Man. And if you read it, it was and is incredibly insightful. It, frankly, it is prophetic, was prophetic. Because Lewis foresaw that if you abandon universal moral absolute, and if you fail to teach those to kids, the result will be moral decay. That a failure to educate the heart, that there are things we should love more seriously than ourselves, will end up with men behaving like animals, or as Lewis puts it, men without chests. They've got no heart. They're loving the wrong things. He could have got that from Proverbs 10, verse 21. Because when it says fools die for lack of sense, what it actually says is fools die for lack of heart. From having empty chests, from not loving the right things, or loving them in the wrong order, or loving the wrong things. Because when you get what you love and worship wrong, it would be death to you. But it'll also be death to the child your child, or your family, or a romantic partner, if you love them more than God, because you are using them to fill a hole that only God can fill, and none of us can bear that weight. 
We'd just be controlling our kids. We'd be putting unreadable expectations upon them or on whoever. They can't bear that weight. So it won't just be death to us and be death to them. Okay, so if it is a choice between life and death, okay, what can put us on the right path? How can we make the right choice? Last point then, choose life. And Proverbs gives us four things, or at least four things, that we can do to put us on the path to life. Number one, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Okay, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, as much as you care about anything, football, rugby, or your grades, or the results of that experiment, care about the state of your heart more. Because lives, your life, the lives of those you love, depend on it. Know your weakness, guard your heart, know your weakness, and know how sin and temptation can exploit those weaknesses, and then take guarding and avoiding action, even if it is costly. Secondly, so guard your heart, secondly, leave and cleave. Which I know refers to marriage, okay, but look at Proverbs 9, verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Live a repentant lifestyle. Don't be complacent. Don't excuse your sin. Instead, when you are conscious of being tempted, maybe even this week, imagine yourself standing at a crossroads. And the, and the sin that you are being tempted by, that is signposted with death. But asking God for his help to resist in this moment, that is signposted life. You are stood at the crossroads. Quite some life occasions, isn't it? Choose that one. Okay, choose life. Leave folly and instead cleave to wisdom. Proverbs 3, verse 18. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, have you ever had a tree, or has, has a tree ever ridden the elevator to your floor, knocked on your door, and asked you for a hug? Has a tree ever done that to you? Okay, probably not, no, okay. If you, if you want to hug a tree, what do you have to go and do? You have to go to the tree, don't you? You have to go to it. And Proverbs says the same is true for wisdom. You have to lay hold of her. You have to put in the effort. You have to make some steps to grow. And if you do, it will become a tree of life to you. Okay, so maybe think about reading next month, get through it in a month. Maybe think about reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. And then take just one of them from that chapter, one of them that struck you, and meditate on it for five minutes. And ask God's Spirit to teach you from it. Help you begin to stretch and grow in wisdom. Okay, but of course the reality is, however much Proverbs tells us about life and death, it is only when Jesus came that we get to see the life that it is talking about actually lived out. And it's only in Him that we get to see how death's dark shadow is broken. As Paul puts it, God's grace, his favour on our lives, the Proverbs talks of, has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel.
<coughs> See, Proverbs 15.24 says, the path of life leads upward for the prudent, for the person who is laying hold of his hand, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. Now Jesus comes and he doesn't say, I'll show you how to find that path. I'll show you how to find the way. He says, Jesus comes and says, I am the path. I am the way and the truth and the life. To lay hold of me is to lay hold of wisdom. To know me is to know life. So, maybe this month, as you read and meditate on Proverbs, ask the Spirit not just to teach you, but to show you. Lord, how does this point me to Jesus? And then lay hold of him by faith. So guard your heart, leave and cleave. Thirdly, embrace discipline. Proverbs 6, verse 23. For the commandment is a lamb and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And when I was a boy, when my brother and I were boys, and when we were naughty, okay, my mother would physically take us by the hair and bang our heads together. <laughs> okay, parents, do not do that. Okay, do discipline your children, okay, but not in that way. Okay, but whether it knows a direction, okay, whether it is a parent applying the board of discipline to the seat of learning, or whether it, is a, whether it is a friend saying to you, do you know what, you really should not be doing that. That is not consistent with God's word. Or whether it's the police stopping you and fining you. Discipline is really comfortable. It's really enjoyable. But the person who is growing in skill at life realizes, hey, the Lord is opening for me a door onto the pathway of life here. I'm going, to, I'm going to learn a lesson. So embrace it. Embrace discipline. Examine what you can learn from it, even if it is unjustified. And you can do that because you know that you are already loved. You're, you, you are already accepted because the author of life himself went through the ultimate discipline of death for you. He loves you. So if he is allowing this discipline in your life, his motive must be love. Here, the American singer Elisa Childers writes, Jesus never said to follow our hearts, chase our dreams and find ourselves. He said we must deny ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow him. This is where true freedom, hope and deep joy abide. So take up the cross of discipline and live. Because he took up a far heavier cross for us. Okay, the fourth thing finally, pursue the fear of God. Proverbs 14.27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, but one may turn away from the snares of death. Now you could try really hard to love God so much that you fear to grieve him. The truth is you probably won't make much progress. Instead, consider starting each day by asking God to fill you with his spirit and for him to fan into flame your love for him and for him to change what you love most. Because if the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, Jesus said, I am that fountain. I'm the fountain. 
Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. In John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John tells us he was talking about the Spirit. So, as well as praying each morning, Lord Jesus, fill me with your Spirit today. Ask him that streams of life might flow out from you to those you meet today. That you would become a tree of life to others. Proverbs, 29, Proverbs 19, 23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. Psalm 17:15 says, As for me, I should behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I should be satisfied with your likeness. That's who is God's likeness other than Jesus? The radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. A life of self-worship will never leave you satisfied. It'll never give you rest. Because no amount of living your best life now, or yoloing, or you do you, or following your heart, will ever satisfy. But pray for God to show you Jesus from his word. Ask him to fill you with his spirit, and fan into a flame your love for him, and fear him, and gaze upon Christ, with the eyes of faith, and then your heart really will be satisfied.